The following is a production of Galactic Netcasts. This episode of the Podcast of Terror is brought to you by our friend and frequent guest, Matt Vincent. Head on over to thehate.com, that's T-H-E-H-V-I-I-I.com, and use the code HBG15 for 15% off your order. Welcome to episode 48 of the Podcast of Terror, a production of Galactic Netcasts. This is a podcast about all things scary. I am your host, Matt Stein. With me as always is Corey. I look really fuckable in my hate hat, Scott. Corey, how are you? I'm uh, ready to be fucked. You got the hair. We can get it all messed up. You'll look freshly fucked. It'll be good. Uh, for more on this podcast, including show notes, contact information, and subscription links, go to gncast.com slash pot. And to chat with us on Slack channel during our shows, you can go to gncast.com slash sign up. While you're over there, you can go ahead and subscribe to our newsletter as well. Uh, we spoil things, so if you haven't seen the topic that we're going to be discussing, which this week is uh, Cabin in the Woods, go ahead, pause this, we'll still be here, watch it, come back, and I fucking swear a lot. Uh, we might not actually be here. We might be rummaging through your clothing and stuff at that point. But what you don't know doesn't hurt you. Very and good chance I'll be. The itch will go away with the de- applicable powder. <laughs> yeah, just see your doctor. Say that you've you've got a case of the Corey Scott balls. He'll give you a nice powder. It'll ease the itching. You'll they know what that is, especially they, over at Kaiser. They do. Uh, tonight we're going to be joined by podcasting musician Brett Stewart, who's the host of the Jukebox Podcast, co-host of the Geek Cinema Society, uh, which will be coming out on Blazing Caribou Studios in late July. You can go ahead and find all of his music on his website at brettdavidstewart.com. We'll have the link in the show notes, but uh, yeah, fuck that. You can, you can get that on the internet. Brett, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you're you're currently traveling. Uh, you're visiting your your parents, I believe we were talking about. But uh, yep, out here in Denver, seeing my folks for a week. So, are your parents also musicians, or do you just travel with a bunch of microphones and a mixer and a keyboard? I travel with a bunch of microphones, mixer, keyboard, and two guitars. So, uh, yeah, it's a it's a pain in the ass to get through security because TSA doesn't know what microphones are when they see them in the in the scanner. So I'm constantly, I have to plan for about an hour or so of uh, searches. <laughs> so do they ask you if you're carrying an obscene amount of dildos? It's implied. <laughs> it's implied. But once we open it up, they realize that it's just a shit ton of microphones. Oh, once they open you up, they realize that there's no real obscene number of dildos. Uh, you just meet the caveat under the line for obscenity. Right, just the amount that they'll let you through TSA. Damn it, Martha, he's one dildo short of being obscene. <laughs> I assume the TSA lady's name is Martha. Um, awesome, well, th- thanks for coming. Uh, I know that we've been talking about doing this for a while, so I'm glad that we can finally get you on. Yeah, it is my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Yes. Uh, so if you're new to the podcast, it's here. Shame on you. Uh, Corey will be over shortly to spank you. But uh, first of all, we talk about some news that happened recently, and then we'll go ahead and get into our... Uh, cabin in the woods is magic so first of all we're gonna start off with something that we talked about on a previous episode um evil dead 2 board game at that time was gonna be a thing and now they have since launched a kickstarter uh that is just a monstrosity i think it went up a week ago yeah it's got 23 days to go and it's at over three hundred thousand dollars uh of its seventy thousand dollar goal yeah so it no longer needs you but 
it's a great way to get the game if you want it, probably for less than you'd get it at the store. That's true. Um, it, if you play board games and you're familiar, it looks like it plays like the Zombies game where you play tiles as you go to build your board. That got me hard. I don't know about you, Corey. Um, well, you know, I'm older, so it would take a board game and maybe a collectible card game to uh, get me up at this point. Uh, Brett, do you play board games much? You know, I do play board games, and I'm stoked about this. I love that they have reached their goal and surpassed it extensively. I think it's cool that if you look at the uh, rewards, they don't have any of those bullshit awards that are like, commit $1 or $2 to feel good about yourself and give yourself a a pat on the back on Twitter. I love that the first one is 5 bucks, and you actually get a copy of uh, one of the award-winning comics. I think that's great that regardless of where you pledge, you're going to get stuff. You know, I never even noticed that. I, to be perfectly honest, if I look at a Kickstarter that I seriously am considering backing, I just scroll right to the middle. Um, I just get <laughs> past all the shit where it's like, we'll tweet at you. Okay. Exactly. Well, this doesn't have that, so I appreciate that. Whatever you give to them, they're going to give you something back in return. If you like comics, $5. Yeah. yeah, I'm not a comic guy, but Corey probably just died a little bit inside. No, I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, I make things you don't pay attention to all the time like little sculptures of my poop that I leave in your doorstep. That was, that's you? That's you? <laughs> One of them is. I thought it was the cat across the street leaving me gifts. Uh, the cat and I are working together. You and Mr. Boots? I don't even know its name. <laughs> the cat across the street. So funny story. We really want to keep going with this. <laughs> but I have, a, I have a story about the cat across the street. Okay. Um, so we uh, had a possum living under our deck a few years back, and we put out a trap to catch it. But the first night we caught the neighbor's cat. Like, I'm not even kidding. We, you, yeah, it's going blind now. Yeah, I'm like, I think it was fucking pissed. <laughs> and you just let it out, and it's just right across the street. And I'm like, well, I hope they never find out that we just caught their cat. I don't really care. We're trying to move, so fock them. Yeah. Did you ever return the cat, or did you just Dude, keep we it? Dude, like... no, we opened, we opened the, the trap, and the cat just ran back home. Cat tastes enough like possum to me. Oh, God. Uh, next story. <laughs> Speaking of things that taste like possum... Uh, apparently Saw 8 is going to become a thing, which I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I have a very uncomfortable erection. Like, I'm not sure if I'm excited or I just, my, my murder boner is back. I mean, the, the thing about this is it's kind of like the stones retiring from touring. And then all of a sudden, a couple years later, the stones come back around and they're like, Hey, we're going to tour again. Uh, so it was complete and utter bullshit when they kept saying to us, yeah, we're going to do the last Saw movie, this is it, the series is ending, and then a couple years go by, and it's like, hey, new Saw! Everybody remember when we were something? Uh, yeah, it was called Saw 1. I actually own all seven. Yeah, I think you talked about that recently. Yeah. I, I think we talked about that when Jack was on last week. Probably. Um, and, and I'm not hateful towards the Saw movies. When people talk about torture porn movies and stuff, and they bring up Saw, I'm like, no, Saw had more depth. Uh, Saw actually had a story to it, and I appreciated Saw a lot more, but it did get long in the tooth. And I hope that they're bringing it back because they thought of something to actually, you know, bring something new to it as opposed to just beating the same idea down to the ground because nobody else has been copying Saw lately. Right, well, the whole idea of Saw was that, it, yeah, it was, it was, it was gory, 
but there was some sort of like bizarre existential crisis that each of the characters was having during the film about like why am I here? Why did he put me in this basement? And that was what was kind of cool about Saw. And then they had some great twists. Like I thought Saw Two is still my favorite because I love the ending of that. It's funny uh, your descriptor just described Matt's neighbors. Why am I here, and why did he put me in his basement? <laughs> and uh, it looks like what they're trying to do here, it's called Saw Legacy, so hopefully they tie it all back together and maybe introduce some new plot elements. Uh, I'm tentatively excited for it. It's been a... Have you? Have either of you seen all seven? I've seen like five of them. Oh, sorry, I'm the only one dumb enough to keep giving her money. Um, I don't remember the end of seven, so I cannot say for certain if they tied up all of like the story loopholes. Um... I can't remember if it was five or six that like went back in time and just literally just all it did was answer questions. But seven had that Chester dil- dildo from fucking Lincoln Park and his like chest got ripped out, so I was okay with that. <laughs> it's always nice to see people die and things that you're just like, oh well, that that made it worth my time. When John Bon Jovi gets shot in the throat in Young Guns Two, everybody stood up in the audience and cheered at the theater I was at at the time. So now he's doing direct it. TV commercials. Are you? How do you guys feel about the director and writers of, uh, or at least the directors of Daybreakers doing it? Uh, I, I have... forgot that Daybreakers was a thing until I read this. I didn't even know Daybreakers was a thing. I gotta Google it quick. Yeah, ten years after a plague turns the world's population into vampires, a critical blood shortage causes panic and gruesome mutations amongst the reanimated. Huh. It's one of those Ethan Hawke films that oh, not a lot of people saw. I saw it. Did that, you? That's how memorable it was that I forgot I saw it. Well, it's also one of those like vampires running around. So we're gonna use a blue filter on everything to disguise it as night, and it just yeah. becomes so much of an eyesore trying to watch it. All the underworld mo- movies were like, uh, and I just couldn't watch them past the first one. I, they kept coming out. I'm like, uh, no, thank you, no. But then we're looking at Saw, and it looks like it's a green filter on everything. So that's true. Fuck Hollywood. I guess I can't really say that I'm like upset. That the, the the you know the the director from Daybreakers is doing it, um, cause I, and I always assume the worst and everything, so it's hard to say like how much push when they did Daybreakers, like how much push from above they got, and that's ultimately what made it shitty. So it may not have been their pro- their fault. It may have been their fault. They may right. make Saw shitty, but at this point, you Saw is in itself kind of shitty. It's not. It's like a hollow shell of what it once was. It's like going to see Kiss now and expecting to see Kiss 30 years ago. Now you're, you're seeing a bunch of old dudes in costumes and face paint waddle around on stage, not, you know... And that's with everything. When it gets older, it just... It, less less of it is new to you. It's less exciting. Um, so in short, I don't, think, I don't think I care that the guy who directed Daybreakers is doing Saw. Yeah, it's actually a... Uh a partner, like a duo, um, and they've only made three or four films, all of which have starred Ethan Hawke. Yeah, so. they work with him a lot. And then, uh, who is it? Josh Stolberg and Pete Goldfinger are the ones who are writing the screenplay, and they wrote Sorority Row and Piranha 3D. I just watched Piranha 3D recently on Sci-Fi at 4 o'clock in the morning a couple weeks ago, and um, I don't think anybody was paying attention to the writing in it. I don't think so. I think when you put 3D in the film title, it's already going in a weird direction, which didn't... Was, uh, wasn't didn't it like 3 double D or something? 3... Uh, no, I gotta look this one up. Wasn't it supposed Saw to do that, or was that Final Destination? Breasts? Uh, 
sorry, Corey, I didn't mean to cut you off. The Piranha Double D, yeah, it's Piranha 3 Double D, and it's just cans. Um, but, yes, Brett, the uh, Saw 7 was called Saw 3D, the final chapter. Okay, right on. And it came out in 2010. Wow. Yeah, that was when everything, putting everything in 3D was the new hotness. Oh, that's right. So 3 Double D was the follow-up to this 3D one. I still oh, can't really? imagine that it was very good. But hey, you know, Saw, it, it's it's like getting a new Child's Play or a new Halloween. We know it's not going to be what it was. Um, but if you enjoyed the franchise, then you get more of the franchise. Did you know that you can purchase all seven Saw movies on Blu-ray on Amazon for $15? <laughs> Why does it sound like you're you're reading this like a, a midnight infomercial about Christ? Did you know <laughs> that through the power of God, you can get uh, Saw 1 through 7 for $15 and get the rest of your $100 bill to me and my church? All I'm thinking about is all the money that I spent purchasing these movies over the years. And for what? Yeah, I mean, it. that's the thing. When when these things were coming out, it was kind of a, oh, yay, I'm going to get the Saw set. And then all of a sudden they have a new film the next year. Shit, I got to get the new Saw set. And then the next one comes out the next year. Fucking dildos i gotta get the new saw set and then you finally have them all and it was like 80 dollars when they'd hit and now it's oh yeah i 15 dollars can't give it away not only that but uh, fuck whatever blu-ray got so angry right now <sighs> we should probably move on before i have our well if you're pissed off about that you can join Corey feldman and get pissed off about a sequel to lost boys is getting made except now it's getting made in the comics uh, our next story is coming to us from bloodydisgusting.com, which is telling us about Vertigo Comics, a subdivision of DC, is doing a Lost Boys sequel, and this is following up what was recently, uh, Corey Feldman was talking about the idea of a all-female-led Lost Boys sequel coming out called Lost Girls, which has been in development since almost the time that Lost Boys came out. Uh, it's been talked about. But he's like, no, that sounds like the female Ghostbusters, and nobody's going to want to see that. And the only one to see the originals, even though my best friend is dead uh, and oh, died yes. without his teeth. But what? sure, you know, let's piss on the idea that maybe they can do something new with Lost Boys besides the shitty sequels that Feldman's already been in. Well, have you seen Feldman in the last couple of years? Uh, the last thing I saw him on was one of those wife swap shows. I saw that. Oh, God, that was hilarious. He's so... It, um. He's out to lunch, and he's been out to lunch for a couple of years. He's he's the living embodiment of white Michael Jackson uh, that is just kept going down the crazy train, except not as rich. Well, his music is hilarious. Oh, he God, is... he has music? Oh, yeah. He uh, crowdfunded Ooh. a music campaign last year in which if you donated at a $30 level, he would Facebook friend you, like a, his personal Facebook page. Um and I kind of wanted to drop $30 of that to have Corey Feldman on my personal Facebook page. I didn't end up doing it. I don't know if anyone did, but it was a thing. He also has his his harem of women that he calls Corey's Angels. and Yeah, he kind of just has these weird sex slaves walking around his house, and he won't let them go to college. Won't let them have any kind of opinions or anything. It's like it's important. And he, he thinks of it like he's some sort of life coach as he's doing it, but he has them parade around without clothes. And it's just... It's is, fucking nuts. So it is fucking bullshit nuts. Have either of you listened to Corey Feldman's music? 
Yes, I've tried. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Is it like rap music or what? No. He definitely had uh, he had Snoop Dogg rap over one of the songs. Oh no, he totally did. I'm staring at it and trying really hard not to start playing it. It uh, I know the one that he had a music video for when he was promoting the Kickstarter or the Indiegogo rather, was uh, he was like running around his house and it was set to this anthemic kind of uh, hard rock with like a tinge of pop. It was it was really bad. Like what uh, you imagine Hulk Hogan entering a room to like. Hulk Hogan walks into a Taco Bell, and you're there, Hulk, Hulk. Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, more or less. Because uh, he started a, a record label called Elevator, spelled with Nate, um, 2, the letter 2, and Ascension. So it's Elevator to Ascension. And surprisingly, a lot of people ended up backing this. It didn't make its goal, though. People are dumb. Sorry. If, you, if you're listening to this and you backed it, I'm sorry, but you're dumb. And it... People have a love of celebrity, and certainly celebrities that we grew up with. I mean, I'll be totally honest. The reason why my name, Corey, is spelled the way it is is because of Corey Hayman, Corey Feldman. Uh... Right, and as, as long as we're, as we're shitting on how weird he is now, I don't know what credence there is to what he writes in his books, because he did write a book. Uh, but he has been kind of the poster boy of... Uh, sexual abuse in Hollywood. And I don't know whether or not that really happened to him or not, but that's definitely, like, there might be a reason he's a messed up guy. I don't know. No, absolutely. And, I mean, he's, he obviously, we talk about uh, child actors in the 80s, and there's there seems to be a vast amount of knowledge of the abuse that went on in Hollywood to these kids at that point in time. And he's also done a good amount of prolific work. You oh, know, stuff you that porn. stands up to this day. You talk about Goonies. Even if you talk about the horror community, uh, we just watched a video uh, that came out that's about uh, Friday the 13th Part 5, uh, New Beginning, or was it 4? Um, and he was in that. He played the kid who kills Jason mm-hmm. in, in that film. Uh, he shows up in the fifth one as well. That's what it is. And he obviously... He's done a lot. He he's gotten to a level where maybe it's better for him to live outside of society, and maybe it's better for him to live outside of reality a little bit. Well, but I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brett. Oh, I didn't say anything. Oh, but but oh, but something we should definitely point out is that uh, two weeks ago, no, yesterday, he landed on the top on the top 100 with one of his singles, uh, Corey Feldman, "Go for It" featuring Snoop Dogg, number 61. Good, good for Corey Feldman. It's awful music, but at least he's. <sighs> I so it. badly want to play this right now, but good for good for Snoop Dogg because it's obviously the only part of that that's any relevance in why. Oh, that's the reason it's on the top top one hundred. Yeah, There's yeah, no absolutely. That. Uh, the, I feel like it bears like mentioning that there's a potential that he's lived outside of like a normal life for so long, being a child actor that maybe he doesn't know how to function. Being a child actor and being extremely wealthy yes. and, you know, having to grow up in in Hollywood, which is a, let's be honest, it's an ugly place. Yeah. But as far as the comic's concerned, the comic is being written by Tim Seeley, who has done some very good uh, horror work uh, before. We've talked about he did that Hack Slash comic series uh, that was possibly going to be a movie or a TV series at one point. I haven't seen anything about it since then. Covers are by Tony Harris, who's 
worked in the industry for a long time, did some great stuff. I did the Starman series from DC. So it looks potentially be an interesting take on the comic. The comic could be good. It could be what gets the next movie made. Uh, it's not unusual for people to take a comic series and go straight to movie from that script because they've already got it essentially storyboarded. I was listening, I swear, but I was trying to remember the name of the the, the Corey's movie where they were got their driver's license license to license drive. License to drive. Yep, I had to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Heather Graham as Mercedes. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I just had a wet dream. Um, cool. Well, I, I guess if we can talk about Corey Feldman for like another twenty minutes if you guys want. That would make Corey Feldman really happy. <laughs> Corey Feldman stock through the roof right now. Uh, we've talked about him so much that I'm going to add him as um, one of the uh, key terms for our podcast. I think you should just Facebook friend him at this point because not a lot of people supported the Kickstarter, so he's probably got to open slots. I'm actually, oh, fuck. I had to log my wife out of Facebook first. This, this is actually happening. <laughs> I'm going to find him and fade, friend him on uh, Your wife wakes up tomorrow and she goes, why the fuck am I friends with Corey Feldman on Facebook, you asshole? To which I respond, why the fuck not? Yeah. Corey Feldman. See, Brett, this is what happens when you greenlight me drinking while we're recording. Corey Feldman. Oh, he must be... Oh, yeah, his 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 occupation is just listed as God. Um, I'm going to add him as a friend. Oh, All right, I do send him a friend request. Yes, I'm doing it too. <laughs> oh, I can't accept friend oh, requests, but you're not following. It says he has too many friends. Ugh. His birthday was yesterday. Uh, happy birthday, Corey Feldman! <laughs> Damn it. He studied at the University of Consciousness. That, that sounds right. He looks like a bad Skrillex knockoff. Like, look at, yeah, it, look at his banner. I'd argue that Skrillex stole the look from Corey Feldman, because Corey Feldman's <laughs> looked like that a long time. Go back to Dream a Little Dream. Uh, he, he was rocking that look as a teenager. <sighs> I think he's wearing chainmail. That is possible. I think so I could too. Be wrong. I don't know. But I digress. I wish him the best with his his music. Hey, he's still alive. You go, Feldman. I, uh, whatever. I fuck him. Keep rocking the living world, Feld. <laughs> Congratulations, your liver hasn't given out yet. What the fuck? Sorry, I'm looking at uh our YouTube video because there's a chat and it's just a bunch of fucking Russian. Oh, uh, Feldman fans have found us. We oh, God. Feldman fans. <laughs> <sighs> I'm scared to Google what they're saying. Uh, let's go ahead and start talking about Cabin in the Woods. Corey Feldman's already gotten too much of our time. Um, but, uh, yeah, Brett wanted to talk about the 20, yeah, 2012 Cabin in the Woods. Filmed in 2010, took about two years to come out. Now, I just want to warn people, we do say at the top of the show that we're going to spoil things. But when it comes to getting spoiled, this movie really it it it's a payoff for you to watch it without it being spoiled. It's a payoff to enjoy it the first time, going in knowing as little about it as possible. So if for some reason you have magically not happened to see Cabin in the Woods yet, uh, watch it now. Uh, that was a weird like jerk session you just had with that movie. I, I mean, I get it. I liked it too, but to like slow jerk it. On the podcast, a little strange. You were here. I had to look you in the eye while I jerked it off and uh, just make eye contact the whole time. Felt real. Felt good. Felt solid. Felt wet. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah go with that. Um, 
Wow, I, that was a good one. That was a good one, Corey. I, I felt like I couldn't call you Corey because we just talked about Corey Feldman so much that I'm like, oh, am I still talking about Corey Feldman? Yeah, Corey. Oh, that's going to piss me off. God damn it. I'm going to have to come up with a new name or go back to my real one. Hey, granted. Wait, what? Hello. Uh, I don't have to, like, fake yelling Corey's name in, in bed. Your your name is Corey. That's really not true. Um, So, Cabin in the Woods. I, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> see you guys <laughs> see you guys later thanks for the show Brett we really appreciate the suggestion where can we find you online um, um, uh, I, I, I was really so I, I just rewatched it literally this afternoon I hadn't seen it in quite a while I didn't even remember the ending uh, I'm not 100% sure I even saw the ending ever so I've seen it now though Corey you're good <laughs> um, uh, I would, Matt I, never watched all the way to the end of the movie ever no, in Matt's mind Old Yeller is still alive Um, I generally stop as soon as the credits start so if there's something after the credits I miss it but we went and saw uh, The Secret Life of Pets in the theater and I made sure to stick around until like the real credits started so I didn't miss anything Uh, we actually went and saw that yesterday too and we I make people sit through the the entire credits oh Um, (laughs) so you're basically movie Hitler I'm I'm that guy yeah I've Wife and mother-in-law were sitting there like, okay, we're going to go. Fuck off, because I'm going to sit here and watch through the, the whole thing. Have fun. Um, so any, anyways, what I've been trying to say for five minutes now is that I was very surprised to see that Chris Hemsworth was in it. Still looking chiseled yeah. and handsome. Uh, so you only got so far as to not know that Hem- Chris Hemsworth was in the movie before? Like, that's not even close to the end. That's closer to the beginning. No, no, no. no. I... <laughs> Motherfucker. I was saying I watched the end. Comma, by the way, I was surprised to see that Chris Hemsworth was on it. Two separate statements. Now he's just fucking Thor. I was surprised that this person who I've seen in the movie, the times that I've seen it before, is still in it. I thought maybe they would have filmed him out at this point. Fucking Loki shows up and takes over the role because that's what Loki would do. Corey, I hate you so much right now. Um, When I first saw this movie, it was before... Yeah, it was before it was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. So the first Thor came out before this movie. I don't think I saw it until afterwards, so I didn't really think about who he was. And it's quite a staggering difference in in how he looks between the two. Is it, like is this, it, he looks like a pretty typical college beefcakey guy, but he doesn't look like Thor. Uh, very true. Fucking Thor, his giant, giant dong. And I would say, out of the main cast, or certainly the five in the cabin, uh, he has had his career blow up the most. Uh, since this film came out. Oh, yeah, definitely. And probably association from this film, working with Joss Whedon may be part of why he got chosen for Thor in the first place. Right, and that's kind of one of the things, that's one of the reasons I chose this movie is because I just love the idea that Joss Whedon made this movie. You look at a director who did Buffy the Vampire Slayer, who did Firefly, Serenity, did Avengers, Age of Ultron, and then just in the hodgepodge middle of his career cabin in the woods, and I love that about him. Uh, I think that's just a fascinating thing to have in the middle of your repertoire, and I think the movie is uh, it hits on all the right cylinders for me, because it it takes every trope and every stereotypical plot line of a horror film and kind of jams them all together with a surprisingly elegantly written story that has an equally surprising amount of depth, and makes a really cohesive film that is pretty rewatchable. It's a great movie. There was a lot of um, 
a lot of jokes were made and stuff too, which I thought played really well. Like my my favorite being at the end, uh, because they're talking about all oh, these giant evil gods are gonna come back if we don't kill you in this specific order. And the stoner guy is just like, oh, that'd be really cool to see. And I'm like, yeah, it would be really cool to see. And then you don't get to fucking see it. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> you I get to see the hand. Just like just like um, the the merman. Like oh man, dude, right, um, love the merman. I can't think of what that guy's real name is. Bradley Whitford, and he's wonderful in everything. I love him. I, the only thing I remember him in is Billy Madison. Uh, he, he was he was one of the leads in the West Wing. Yeah, I'd be lying. Uh, if I also, watch that. Uh, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. He's yeah, basically, if it's an Aaron Sorkin thing, he's probably been in it. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember him in Newsroom, actually. Uh, he wasn't in Newsroom, you're right. He wasn't in Newsroom. He was in Studio 60, he was in uh, West Wing, and then he was in that other one that Sorkin did, Sports Center or something. Sports Night. Sports Night, right. Yeah, and and like you said, excellent in everything. I mean, he's he's an awesome, awesome actor. the The whole cast in this is really good, but when you see the behind the scenes stuff, you see people uh, more who are kind of jaw staples. You got Tom Link is in this. He obviously was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, Amy Acker shows up in this as one of the scientists. Uh, she's from Angel and Dollhouse. Uh, Fran Krantz was on Dollhouse at this point as well. So Joss likes to work with people that he's worked with before. Drew Goddard, who he co-wrote this with and directed this, had worked on Buffy and Angel and Lost and wrote Cloverfield. And so this was his directorial debut. Dictorial. Uh, Right. And you can't forget that it was also Sigourney Weaver, who was in Alien Resurrection, which he wrote. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like it's A-list Weedenfair as, as much as you can be A-list as Weedenfair, but just such a great statement about horror movies in general. What they did is they were kind of writing it as a, a love letter to the horror stuff that they liked and as a commentary on torture porn movies and stuff and where the direction of horror had been going in and how they weren't really big fans of it and kind of made something that pointed out the faults the, the faults of um, what was happening with horror currently while still showing how great horror could be from all the classic things that we've grown up with uh, when they had the list of all the different creatures that could be what wiped them out. Um, my wife and I actually watched this when we watched it the first time we bought the book uh, about the movie and it had the list in there and it has all these other things background of the film. Um, but there are things like uh, tree rape and right. things that and you would see zombies. in other films. It's yeah. the redneck torture family. They're different species. The, Deadites was on the list. Deadites yeah. was actually called out. They had things that were obviously like Cenobites. Um, they had stuff that looked like it was straight out of Silent Hill. Um, just such a great array of different things that it could have been and it's like if you had seen it and you saw that list and then we just had to deal with the, the zombie family, that would have been kind of disappointing. The way that they treat you by introducing all these creatures anyways was so brilliant and so over the top and elevated this film in a way that, I mean, this is a film that rarely am I surprised by a movie as I'm watching it. This thing just kept upping the ante along the way. And from the very beginning you don't know what it's about, you don't know what's going on, and as it breaks down over time and you see it and you get the reveals, it's just so excellent how it 
does every little thing and the payoffs of things like I always want to see the merman and then the merman does get to come and kill uh, the guy. It's just, it's all so great. Had you seen it before? I saw it uh, several years ago. Um, okay. But, like, it, it, it's also, that's kind of a thing to think about, too, is watching it over and over again, it's obviously, it's not going to be the same effect the second time you see it. But the second time you see it, you start going and you try to pinpoint the things that you missed before, um, knowing what happened, and you start to look at things a little bit differently. As you go across, it, it's sort of diminishing returns uh, every so often, unless you give yourself space in between. Um, so I haven't watched in a couple of years. I was just seeing how long you guys would wait to say something. <laughs> game. Um, yeah, I, I I did really enjoy a lot of times where there's, um, like when when Chris Hemsworth is gonna jump the gap. It, it, there's like a minute. It took me a minute to realize like, oh, there's the bird hits the thing in the beginning of the movie, and he's totally gonna fucking hit it and eat shit and die. Um, and then he totally eats shit and fucking dies. But it was yeah, just, there's great it, foreshadowing like that. Like when they, I love that the zombie in the van does not attack them until long after they've you know left and Hemsworth is dead then it attacks them and you know it's in the van because of the you know the, the handprint and it's just I think Josh Whedon does a great job with that I, th- I think that is um one of the redeeming parts of this film is that as Corey said there are tiny little things right when they go down into the into the cellar and you see all these different items and how they could have potentially activated them to call upon a different demon or monster onto them there's a lot there that you might not pick up on your first run through. Yeah, and everything about this is kind of like... I mean, you watch it and you just look at it from the point of view of a, of a horror fan. It's kind of like when the Saw movies came out and they were a statement about what slasher films had been for so long. This does that as well, but it kind of it involves the filmmakers too. I mean, there's a reason why the big villain at the end of it is named the director. You know, it, it's it's such a clear statement about what horror movies are. But those things that you would watch and seeing how they they are kind of forcing them to follow the tropes of horror movies. When the girl picks up the knife and kills the, the zombie that is attacking them in the cellar, and then they, sh- they hit the button to give a little static electricity charge to make her instinctively drop the knife so that she's not carrying anymore, because that's the trope in horror movies, is you've, you've got a weapon, oh, well, I've just killed the thing that's trying to kill us, so I'm going to drop the weapon now, and it's like, why would you do that? Well, they made her right. do it. They showed the points where they're egging things along. Uh, when they're talking about the, um, not the the messenger, maybe is the messenger, the guy who's Har- at the... Harbinger. Harbinger, yeah, the, the guy who's talking to them at the gas station, he's like, hey, you know... Uh, you will burn in the blood of blah, blah, blah. And they're just making fun of him over the phone. But it's such a great trope because it is, that's important to how these stories work out. And when uh, the guy who's doing security for the for the facility is like, oh, well, these look like out of a nightmare. And Amy Acker's like, no, this is what nightmares are based off of, is these things are old horror things that existed before and the stories have come out because of them. It's just really well done. And the fact that it was written in like three days uh, in a hotel room is just crazy to me. But Cocaine's you've got two guys drug. who've been studying this stuff for years. That's true. Um, and the fact that it's not meant to be taken seriously, but 
meant to be taken serious at the same time is really nice. Uh, the stoner yeah, guy not, really does it for me. It's openly a comedy, which it just has some comedic elements to it. Uh, yeah, it's just so well done. I love that the way the way Joss Whedon wrote it was how can we you know combine all of these tropes, everything from you know them dropping the knife to the stereotypes that they all are within the cabin, and the cabin itself is a stereotype, but combine them in a cohesive script that that actually feels so fresh and original, and that in itself is is commendable to take everything that is boring and redone over and over and over again, turn it into something original. I just had a yeah, huge and had, light they turn bulb. them from. I'm sorry, Matt, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say, I just had a huge light bulb because we were talking about how you don't pick up things the first time, and um, at towards the end, uh, when the stoner guy is talking about how sexy Chris Hemsworth is normally not like an alpha and he's usually not pushy. And he goes, yeah, i never seen it like this. And then you recall at the beginning, uh, he takes the books, um, and he goes, oh, you don't have to cover this book. The teacher does it cover to cover, so if you want to read something more interesting, he pulls this other book. And like, I never thought about it. It's like that at that point, they were portraying him as being a smart guy. But then once he gets to the cabin, and they pump it full of their pheromones or whatever, he turns into a big meathead. Yeah, right. and how they make Jules go from being a, a very smart kind of normal girl to being the the whore as the guy labels her um, by using chemicals in her hair dye yep. that start to absorb into her scalp um, and and that's the thing is they're trying to fit these tropes because this is what the viewers who are the the gods down underneath this is what they want this is what they expect out of their whore uh, this is what they have come to expect and accept in these movies, and so they don't want it to veer too far off of this. So there always has to be five, and they have to fit these types of things. So there has to be the virginal girl, and there has to be the boyfriend who's kind of studious, and then the athletic boyfriend, jock guy, and then the the girl who's just willing to get naked and slut it up, and then the guy who's the, the fool or the stoner. It It's so laid out, it's perfect. It's like putting together a role-playing game uh, for horror. It's like playing a Cthulhu campaign, except... It shows that you have to fit these marks to make it work for who is essentially what the film is for and what the the sacrifice is for, which is the the gods, the old gods. So the old gods, the old gods are the audience. The director is obviously portrayed. The I think the writers are portrayed by the two guys who are in the facility that are making everything happen. Yeah, the uh, the two that work in the control room. The rest of it's just production company. Well, yeah, they talk about there's engineering who makes, uh, who is supposed to make the, uh, the, the cave, the cave, cave collapse, in. and, um, but there was a mention of accounting, but it was, oh, that was just for overtime, so it was nothing, nothing, uh, uh, that awesome. What happens is, what audiences expect is for you to up the ante on horror movies. You're going to get more gore, you're going to see more violence, you're going to see crazier traps in your Saw films. You're going to see Hostel 3, where they just get worse and worse, and ha- uh, Human Centipede 3, where, you know, now we're just basically eating each other's assholes all the way Dude, through it. Dude, have you it's seen just... that movie? No. <laughs> I I managed to miss a lot of the really bad ones. My wife watches them for me, so I don't have to. So, in... Uh, I, so, I watched Human Centipede 3 with uh, a very good friend of mine, uh, Jake Wolf, and... Um, Seth's brother, Corey, by the way. Um, but <clears throat> hey, Seth. Like, 
three quarters of the way through it, we looked at each other and were like, why the fuck are we still watching this? But we watched it because we're not quitters. But um, about two minutes into it, the, the, the warden finger blasts some chick, and it's like not weird. But then later in the movie, he actually cuts a dude's balls out and then eats them. But before he eats the balls, he actually looks at him and he goes, mmm, power food. <laughs> Couldn't make it up. Couldn't make it up if I tried. So that's Human Centipede 3 in a nutshell. Uh, not in a nutshell. The nutshell, nutshell has been cracked open and the nuts taken. Human Centipede purchased. 3 out of a nutshell. Out of a nutshell. Well, one of the things about the those tropes of the characters in Cabin in the Woods is uh, I've always thought that they switched them a little weird because I always thought that uh, Hemsworth's character is set up in the opening scenes to be the scholar, right? He is the one on a full-ride scholarship. He is the one uh, giving her suggestions on sociology books. He's a sociology major. I always thought he was the uh, the scholar. He's not. They He's actually the athlete, and they consider his friend... Uh, what's his friend's name? Holden. Kurt? Uh, oh, is it Holden? Okay. Oh, you're right. He's Kurt. So Holden, they consider at the end of the film the scholar, which they also kind of allude to as well, because this dude can read a dead language, and that's cool. But uh, I always thought yeah. it would be interesting if they were switched, because at the beginning, when they portray Hemsworth as uh, a brainiac, they portray Holden as the guy with the best throw on the football team, right? The best so, throw, and he looks super cut when she sees him without a shirt on through the two-way mirror. Uh, right. But they do try to up the ante on him as they're sitting there on the couch. You can see he's put on glasses. He's looking more intellectual. They do. Uh, they do. They they really try to push them more into those tropes. At the same time, though, I mean, this whole group is full of intelligent people, and so they all kind of go to the wayside towards these these different perfect scenarios that they need for this. Um, because Jules isn't a dumb blonde. I mean, for one, she's not even actually blonde. Uh, so they, they really try to make them the stereotypes as far as they can. Uh, Marty's character, also incredibly smart and insightful, which is not what you expect from the character who's the fool. Um, right. But, but he's just so stoned out of his mind that he, he works. A, a lot of that has to do with the fact that they pointed out prior. Like, most, say your, your average Friday the 13th movie, you don't see what happens before they get to the cabin. You just see them getting to the cabin, whereas here they showed prior to getting to the cabin. So you see that Jules isn't really a, a blonde. Yeah, and Dana right. herself, I mean, you see that she's not virginal. And there's a couple of points where she starts to say things like she's a virgin, and she stops herself. She's like, why am I saying this? We work with what we have, right? Right. <laughs> I was waiting for yeah, I've always I've always thought one of the missed opportunities was having the not having the Tolkien black man die first because that is like an ultimate horror film trope. Mm-hmm. Um, but he doesn't in this, which is I guess surprising to me because I remember the first time I saw it, I'm like, yeah, he's dying, he's dying first. Yeah, but you you have to assume that in 2012, if they played up that trope, then there's a, a very real possibility that that could be taken as racist. And that's true, honestly, and, but it still happens in all of these films. Well, it's it like, does, but it also got called out in the Saw movies uh, it did, that's multiple true. times, and so I think that's the other reason why. And maybe there are some tropes that it's okay to let die. Right, I, I agree. I think that one's an okay one to let die. Yeah, Whedon, it seems like that would be the one where like, yeah, we can skip this part. Mm-hmm. Very true. Um, 
trying to think of other things that happened in the movie. I mean, there was no shortage of, like, cool shit that happened. And, and the further in the movie you get, the more and more you kind of want to see the other side, which is really nice how they work in, like, going down in the elevator, and then they show all of the the other monsters, the other possibilities. Um, yeah, there's a lot yeah, of just really some of the violent deaths. Things. Just weird things that show up. I mean, obviously we get werewolves. We get this giant vampire bat. But then we see somebody get killed by a unicorn. That was which is just with the with the magical sounds happening, is it? Yeah, it was just gets... stunning, just beautiful to look at. Um, <laughs> right. We see the the family that look essentially like they're out of the Purge or uh, the Strangers or any number of those films where they're just wearing masks and they go into a room where people are there and they're just pouring gasoline on them. So they're not even all necessarily supernatural based. I mean, they're just trying to go with whatever is the random horror movie that's popular that month. Oh, yeah, it has everything from ghosts to zombies to werewolves to vampires to uh, fornicates, Lord of Bondage, and Pain. So, which, who is that? I'm looking at the name here on, on Wikipedia. Greg Zach played Fornicus. I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say it's the guy with the ball, with the little ball that you turn and you click. Right, the, the Cenobite-looking one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, Which, I'm pretty sure that that that's Fornicus sounds like a Cenobite type name. Yeah, if you if you Google him, he's like a big ripped bald dude. Oh yeah, that, that's like probably it. Yeah. Who has a Facebook? Yeah, we we could friend it. him on Facebook if you want. Is he on Facebook? He totally is, and he is not housed with friends. He only has five four. I, I think I think we have to do this. Now. Oh God, I feel like dirty trying to friend this guy <laughs> versus Corey Feldman. He just got you know, married. You know, Fornicus, Lord of Bondage and Pain, really connected with me on a on a spiritual level. I, I kind of feel like I I, I'm sure more spiritually connected to him than I am Corey Feldman. And I feel like he would judge me if I was trying to friend Corey Feldman. He's like, oh, I was gonna I was gonna add you, dude, but He's mm, a, fuck you and your Feldman worship. Neither of you are. Uh, Brett, are you a football fan? I am a casual football okay, fan. So this sure. guy's a fucking Seahawks fan, so I feel like I can't like him given the relationship between the Packers and the Seahawks. Oh, I'm gonna oof. keep his Facebook page open just in case I change my mind. Uh, I'm there gonna mention go. that I actually, uh, strangely enough, I don't watch football ever, but I own a strange. Seahawks jersey. What? Are you? It was a gift. Are you a communist? Uh, I was in Seattle for something with Geek Squad back when I worked there, and uh, we won this trip up there. Microsoft on the campus gave us a bunch of stuff, including Seahawks. Oh, jerseys. well, that's different if you, if you were given. You know. But I've been told by, by friends here in California that I need to burn that thing. Well, I'm glad that we can send all of your listeners to these poor people's Facebook pages. That's true. Yes. It's very true. <laughs> I, I don't know if I feel bad for it. But you know the guy who plays Fornicus may or may not be pissed off. But although I mean, what else has he really done? Now we got to go to his IMDb page. You got to figure out what else he's done. Right, out. right. We have to find his LinkedIn and connect. Yeah, it's totally him. I, he has, here. Oh no, it, yeah. If you go to his IMDb page, there's a picture of him as Fornicus, which is the dude with the the, the Cenobite looking motherfucker. Is that his only role? No, he was in Wayward Pines. Okay. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow. A lot of TV stuff. Supernatural, Fringe, uh, True Justice, Shower yeah, of Bullets, and Olympus. He's got the uh, he's got the build for it. It seems like he would be one of those guys who would. We need a big guy. We need a big guy who can dress up as something weird. Uh, unfortunately, the girl who played Patience uh, Bruckner, it was only ever in this 
Was that the girl with the missing arm or missing yeah, leg? Yeah, the one-armed girl the from the family who all went after them. The right. zombie, zombie redneck family or whatever it was? Yes. Whatever yeah, was. and I think, that, you know, let's, here's an here's interesting thing I wanted to mention as well, is that when the security guard asks Whitford's character, so you're basically rigging this system, right? You have to give props to the writing of this film because at no point... Yes, they push it along, and yes, they instigate these things, but to an extent, his character is correct. Uh, these are characters that are making their own choice to go down into the cellar, making their own choice to on which item they are going to pick and look into and read or press or turn or whatever. So I think that's interesting because there's probably some commentary to be made on whether or not the victims of horror films put themselves in these positions by doing stupid stuff, right? Like, we have that all the time. How many times we watch the horror film and you say, why are you going in there? Why are you doing this? And in this film, they let them do it, and as a result, their fate is flung upon them. There's... Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of the difference for me when I watch different movies is I feel okay when I watch the people who are just doing the stupid tropes because... All right, I expect these people to die. It's when you watch them and they feel like real people and they don't feel like they're making all the dumb decisions and then they still die horrifically that you you feel a sense of loss about it. You're like, "Ah, oh, well shit." You know, I actually like that character as opposed to here's the dumb fuckers who are going out in the woods to have sex. Fuck those people. Um How do you oh, Sorry, go ahead. No, that was it. It's really it it changes the game, but it it does show that even when there's rules, you find a way to game the system to make it more to your advantage. You Rules are there not so you can break them necessarily, but so you can bend them and work with them as best as possible to get the results you want. Uh, so, we actually got a question from Beat that I want to make sure we talk about. Um, Brett, when you disappeared, we were talking to a friend of ours, Beatmaster, who does stuff with Galactic Netcast and, and yeah, right podcasting, on. if you're not familiar with them, but uh, he wants to know what you guys think about the stabs that the movie takes at the foreign versions, uh, like the J- the J- Japanese version, um, where they have the cheap side effect of the the girl and the the flowers, and then she's in the. So yeah, they mentioned Sweden, but we don't really see what Sweden does and fails at. But we do see six foot tall blonde bitches with huge cannons. <laughs> Sorry. See, we don't see any of them. We don't see the details of any of them. Like it goes to Stockholm and it goes to Berlin and all these different places, but all you see is like a house burning down or something, whereas the Japanese one, they really push home on that, right? They show you it multiple times in the film. Yeah, but I feel like, and to be perfectly honest, like Japanese horror movies are a little more of a thing, which obviously that's the one they focus on, but it seems very um, it, it seems very in line with what the movie is doing that it makes fun of like the Japanese movie where it's like the girl in the classroom and you know she's right it, the it's shit it's out following what was popular at that point in time where things like Ringu and uh, Juan uh, the the stuff that was popular over here that it just that worked because at the point that this came out those movies were we were getting remakes of Japanese horror films in America uh, that were the big horror films of their time in fact i think we're getting a ring 3 crossover coming out what I, I last I heard that there was a crossover between the ring and that other uh, one that is there's based... a movie called rings right apparently comes out this year so for blah, 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 blah. February 17 2016 films October 28 2016 is the new release of the movie rings 
October 28th of 2017? 16. 16. Okay, so this like, year. Good. I thought it was going to have to go months. up against Saw 8. And I'm like, well, Jesus, we don't want two franchises returning in the same year. That would be terrible. Or do we? No, we don't. Not at all. But yeah, this is originally called Ring 3D. Going back to what we were talking about earlier. God um, damn it. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know I didn't know it was a crossover. Well, I thought I read something about maybe it's in Japan that they're actually doing the crossover between Juon and Ringu. Well, and I'm probably featuring the title of both, but yeah. Brad, how do you feel about the Ring movies? Uh, I think I saw the first one a <laughs> long time ago. I remember seeing the first one in the theater and being like genuinely scared, but now I go back and I watch it and I'm like, what is this kibble? <laughs> yeah, to be entirely honest, is I feel somewhat desensitized to horror films at this point. I don't know if you guys feel that way, but I'm I'm really looking for something totally to scare me. So, um <clears throat> are you into true crime at all? No, I haven't seen it. No, no, no I mean like the the concept of This like, is a genre? True okay. Crimes. Yeah. So, my wife sure. got me into this podcast called Sword and Scale, and it's all about true crimes and their tagline is the real monster, like the worst monsters are real or some shit. Um and I just listened to one that was talking about women who like murder their babies and one was this this lady took her baby and put it in the microwave for two minutes and then after it was dead and microwave for two minutes took it to the doctor and was like what's wrong with my baby and played dumb and they were trying to like get her off on just like a lapse of judgment and the whole time i just remember thinking like wow it's really fucked up but you know whatever and I feel like my desensitization to horror movies is now stemming into like real life things. Yeah, that gets some dangerous territory, right? Like, I'm not gonna kill anybody. Please don't think I'm gonna like, start <laughs> killing people. I'm just saying, like, I don't know. Like, I, for example, Game of Thrones has completely desensitized me to gore within that kind of space. Like uh, the other weekend, I watched. I hadn't seen it in many years. I watched. Uh, goodness, uh, <laughs> what is it? Mel Gibson. I'm a uh, I'm Ashen a Scott. I, why am I oh, blowing? Braveheart. Braveheart. <laughs> Braveheart. I watched Braveheart for the first time in a couple of years, and uh, that movie, when it came out, that was a that was a doozy of a film for people. And now it's it's still well done. Like it does not look fake. But since I've seen things like Game of Thrones, and they're so ingrained in my popular culture and the things I watch, the film does not phase me in any way, shape, or form. Is do you think that's a good or a bad thing? It's kind of a loaded know, question, right? But. Like, because because let's if we get really serious with this, then say you have ISIS putting up a video online of someone getting beheaded or getting blown up or something like that, and as a society, we're somewhat desensitized to that kind of practice because it's so commonplace within our popular media, and that's maybe problematic. But weren't we always going in this direction to some extent anyway? I mean, with the amount of people that we've been seeing die on Facebook of late. I, it, I worry that it's going to become something that people become. Um, obviously, we're enraged by the circumstances, but seeing it happen and how much can we separate the reality versus the the fake stuff that we see on TV uh, and in films, and at some point, is it going to become less impactful because of that? I can't watch those things. I can't watch something and see someone actually die right. and, and feel like a normal human being afterwards. I. I watched Faces of Death when I was a kid. I watched it in high school. I watched it actually in a class. Uh, we managed to con a teacher into playing it for us at one point. And how, how dumb I, was your teacher? 
uh yeah well it was it was the 80s it was a different time True. but it was just yeah it's so horrifying to realize that these things might actually be true and there are some things in in horror films that feel so real like the cannibal holocaust stuff where it's God, just no. like that's too messed up for me uh, i can't really do it that, but right. the funny thing is the other night we watched the big short which is about the housing market crash and the people behind the scenes who were making it happen and the people who profited on it and yeah. my wife got so pissed off and so disillusioned about just America and about banks and our government and everything after that she was livid and she just was like angry about it for a couple of hours afterwards and I'm like yeah that that's that's the reality that I I see this stuff all the time because I watch the news and I read things and she's not normally exposed to these ideas until she sees them in a film that I'm playing in front of her and she's like why the fuck are we watching this but that's it's it's weird the things that will affect us now compared to the things that we've become less sensitive to and it's it's definitely situ- not situational but it's different for each person right a wall street banker is probably not going to be overly phased by the big short like two anecdotes i have in regard to this would be uh... i'm a journalism major in chicago and spotlight is is you know musty film within that department uh, yeah i'm looking forward uh, to seeing it i haven't checked it's it out wonderful. yet but i want to it's on netflix to. now and but here's the thing it can really I know that Catholics who watched the film felt very distraught about about the circumstances of the film, and rightfully so. It's a messed up film, and uh, and all these things, you know, like here's a here's a personal example. Yeah, have you guys ever watched American Horror Story? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so American Horror Story, like the first or the second season or something like that, it had a school shooting. Uh, first season did. Yeah. First season did, and I started watching it. And have it since I was in a school shooting when I was in high school. I cannot watch that that season. I turned me off the entire show. I started watching that scene. I'm like, nope, this shit's too real. This is way too real. And I was out. I was out of the door. So it's circumstantial, right? If you've if you've had something in these uh, films or situations that you can relate to in some capacity, even if it's frustration at the mortgage downfall of the of the late 2000s, then it's going to hit home for you, even if you're somewhat desensitized to the kind of things that are in horror films and drama and what have you. Yeah, but I also think that that's, as as a storyteller, as a person who wants to make art and wants to broach subjects that are sometimes uncomfortable and are often things that people will call out trigger warnings for and stuff, I just feel like it's still important that we tell those stories. And oh, yeah, definitely. Put definitely. those things out there. And, and obviously it's better when a person who's going to have a hard time with it knows that that content's in there, but at the same time, that's that's the reality of life, is that... Oh, yeah, we should not stop making these things. The ...things that are going to affect you. You don't get to decide when something bad happens to you, um, but with a movie or a TV show, you do get the ability to walk out or turn it off. Um, there's a lot of things in, in horror movies that are obviously the things that affect me the most. Uh, usually, it's it's torturing of animals, of women, that kind of stuff really skeeves me out. Um, but I also recognize that it's fiction, and if the movie has other redeeming qualities, I can get through it. It's just how how far does it go? And so I'm not a big fan of things like Hostel. I'm not a big fan of things that are just so over the top. Um, no luck but, for a Serbian film. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget. But I... 
but I get it, and I, I think that it's it's weird because part of what this movie talks about is, you know, horror movies were one way, and there was there was they weren't charming. But it, when we watched uh, a movie that we watched when we first started, um, the town that dreaded sundown, mm-hmm. I went back and I watched the original version, which came out uh, in the early seventies, and that movie at points in it was was stupid comedy like out of a Smokey and the Bandit movie and then other parts of it were really horrifying and dark and torturous and I just like I couldn't believe this movie at that point in time existed because it was just as violent as anything that I'd been seeing in recent years uh, to me at least uh, in in some of the more modern horror films and it was it was in some ways impressive that we were already that far with filmmaking to do things that were that dark and that's just sick in a way. Um, so I'm I'm constantly not surprised when I see the next film comes out and it's like, oh, well, we're going to go further with this and we're going to go even deeper with this. It's like, yeah, what are you going to do? You know, it, it's exactly. it's hard enough to get people to pay attention to films. Forward. Yeah, it's it's a it's a slippery slope, I guess. You know, uh, we've gotten to a point now where I personally need to see something really fucked up, or I need to hear something just asinine to feel uncomfortable. Yet, part of watching horror movies and part of taking in horror content is to feel uncomfortable. Like, yeah, but I know that there are things that it doesn't even take any anything at all. I haven't watched the movie John Wick which I hear really good things about, the Keanu Reeves movie, because I know that it starts out centered on the death of his, his dog. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to see it because of that. And I'm sure it's not a graphic scene. I'm sure it's probably not all that bad. No, and everybody who loves the film it's that you, seems you to know. have gotten past that, but you I know. can't do it. Yeah, you know what happens. But it, at that point, um, it's just kind of like, uh, yeah, man, fucking murder everybody because someone killed your dog. Like right. I, that's what I would do. That's how how I would handle it. Yeah, and I mean, there's been enough movies that are based around I'm gonna go kill everybody because they killed my wife or my girlfriend or my kid or something. But the fact that it's a dog just you know it totally puts me off. I always like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll watch that this weekend. Oh, uh, I might not watch that. Yeah. I just I haven't worked up to it. Uh, guess well, maybe part of it is whether or not it's well done then, because John John Wick's a well done movie, right. and uh, like for example, another example. I'm not going to spoil anything here, but the ninth episode of Game of Thrones this season, like it was done so well. The Battle of the Bastards is performed and executed and shot and edited so so spectacularly that it's uncomfortable to watch. Like it was it was a uh, a stressing thing for me to watch, which I had not experienced in a very very long time. I still have the occasional recurring nightmare about the Red Wedding. Yeah, they do it really well. That 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 whole episode, that scene, really affected me. And I I knew going into it what was going to happen, at least in some ideas. But it was it was just so well done that it affected me, and it stuck with me. And I was surprised at how much it stuck with me. Because it wasn't anything that's normally triggers for me, but it it still it it did its damage. But I stayed with the show after that. Oh yeah, definitely. By the way, I want to uh, issue a correction. Jadelle Furland, who played uh, the the Buckner girl with the one arm, 
Uh, I was way off. She's been in tons of things, including she's on the TV series Dark Matter right now. Um, so I just clicked the wrong link earlier. You're fucking fired. I get stuff wrong a lot, and so I what? hear the episodes later. I'm like, wait, why can I not remember the difference between David Wan and Justin Lin? And I completely screwed that up. I keep waiting for somebody to correct me. Apparently, no one gives a shit about what I say. Yeah, we just get called mediocre bitch a lot by Russian bots on uh, YouTube. Such Thank you, YouTube. Life. We love Such YouTube. Is life. Uh, let's go ahead and get into the ranking. I feel like we really got incredibly off topic, but great conversation. It's probably the deepest conversation that we've ever had on this podcast. So, thanks, Brett. I guess podcast of terror going deep since 2015. <laughs> yeah, we're we're coming up on our one year anniversary here. Congrats, guys! It's Se- awesome. 17 years, and then we're legal. Uh, so we're gonna. We're gonna <laughs> uh, I made myself laugh. Uh, we're gonna rank Cabin in the Woods on uh, a zero to five scale in three three categories: uh, rewatchability, story, and scariness. Let's start first on rewatchability, and we'll start with Brett because you're the man of the hour. All right, I would give it a solid. Hmm, I'd give it a solid four for the second time, and then maybe three for every time after that, uh, depending on how long you're giving between the viewings. But I think it's a film that has a lot to offer because some uh, horror films, once you've seen the twist, once you've seen the end, maybe that magic of it is somewhat lost. I don't think Cabin in the Woods necessarily does that. Yeah, I completely agree. It's still, it's infinitely rewatchable because of how good it is and how great the characters are and how impeccable the storytelling and character creation is um but you're right once you've seen it the first time you definitely want to watch it at least once more um and after that you'll just watch it every once in a while because it's just a really fun cool ass horror movie so uh i would go rewatchability for um but i would say even a five that first time that you watched it and watching it again right on so what's your fucking pick guy i'll go four okay four good we'll leave it at that then uh, I'm going to go with... Oh, man, this is actually harder than I thought it would be. Uh, I think I'll go with a three. Uh, first time I watched it, I remember it being meh. Uh, but now that I've gone back, rewatched it, we've talked about it, and I kind of thought more about the movie instead of it just being on. And you um, watched it all the way to the end? And I watched uh, to the end. I don't... And that's the thing. I don't know if I finished it the last time, and I just don't know that I finished it. I just don't... I don't know. I was probably drunk. By the way, Bruce Willis is dead at the end of... <laughs> just, Whoa, I wonder how I many mean, movies you haven't made I mean, it to the end to. Come on. You gotta just... Hey, hey, I just got to say, on Geek Cinema Society, a couple weeks ago, we did Sixth Sense. That'll be coming out in a little bit. And our guest did not know. <laughs> so there are people who don't know. I mean, they spell it out, but that's you'll have to listen to Geek Cinema Society to figure out why. <laughs> By yeah. the way, I wasn't talking about Sixth Sense. I was talking about Moonlighting. Oh, okay. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. It's all a figment of Herbert's imagination. Uh, we digress. How about the story, Brett? You know, I'm going to give it a five. I think it's a great story because it, it redefines, maybe not redefines because there isn't anything else like it, but it but it turns storytelling within a horror compass inside out and, and attempts to, you know, take these tropes and take these ideas and all these things that you want and things you don't want and just mix them together in a film that, ends up working very well. Corey? Uh, I have an uncle 
who is one of my favorite people in the world, actually is the one who married my wife and I, he has the ability to talk shit to somebody to their face without them being able to get pissed off because he's just so charming and good at it. And I feel like that is what this movie was, is this movie is both a love letter to horror films and a huge critique on horror films at the same time, but you have to enjoy it and respect it because of how good it is. Uh, and I'm going to give it a five. I didn't know where you were going with that, but I'm really glad that you brought it full circle. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say five, too. I mean, you guys pretty much spelled it out. If you're not sure why we gave it fives, then go back about an hour and five minutes and then start the fucking episode over again. <laughs> um, scariness. Brett? Uh, I'm desensitized. I don't find this movie scary at all. Uh, it's a one in the scary department for me. I just, I've just i never found this movie scary. The people I watched it with this weekend, the only part, they've never seen it, the only part of which they jumped was the werewolf when it you know, jumps up on the uh, yep. when they're inside the elevator. But uh, society, if society wasn't so screwed up, I'd probably say like a two. But <laughs> but I'm pretty desensitized, so I think it's a one, and I think that's okay for me. Yeah, I mean, if if you haven't watched a ton of horror movies, I mean, there were, you you saw that something was gonna jump out a mile away. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So I I guess I guess I should preface that and say this is from someone who watches a lot of horror films, so I understand what they're trying to say with these jump scares and with these stereotypical types of scares. So yeah, in that way, it's not too scary to me. That's always the hardest part with, with rating on scariness is because we, we watch a horror movie and rate it every week. And how often are we actually frightened by these things anymore? Uh, suspense, maybe. Uh, certainly, if I was coming into this dry, uh, to quote mm-hmm. Matt, to his wife, uh, I would say that it would probably be a three. Uh, certainly, just the look of the merman. Like, they, they prep you and say the merman is horrifying, but then to actually see the merman happen and how it's biting down on the guy and sucking his blood out and then shooting blood out of its blowhole yep. on its back, uh, that that will kill your wiener. You know what? I think I think you've convinced I think you convinced me. I think I might have to go back up to like a two because I think I think you know what? I think it's so well done in terms of the way they they crafted these these monsters that it could definitely be scary for for some people. I agree. Corey, did you ever give it a number? Uh, the scariness. I gave it a three. Three. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure. You said a lot of things without really saying anything. That is what I do on this show. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go and ahead. at work and in my marriage. I'm gonna, oh, tell Aaron, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and give scariness a one and a half. Really, nothing that scary, but um, it does play more for comedy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can contact us by leaving us a voicemail at 805-328-3966. You can email us at pot at gncast.com, or you can leave us a message on the website. Uh, we want to hear from you. Basically, if you didn't figure that out by what I all just said uh, let us know what you like of the show what you hate of the show why Russian bots are calling us mediocre bitches on YouTube uh, something else you want us to do better, different uh, basically we do this for you so tell us what you guys like we will cater the show to you so you keep coming back I said the word you a lot in there because I love you 
Please follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast of Terror. Also subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of your favorite podcatchers. Leave us feedback. Five-star ratings, please. We only have like two. I'd like more um, on whatever one you like. Subscription options and links can be found at gncast.com slash subscribe. And you can join us on our Facebook page under Galactic Netcasts. Brett, thank you very much for taking time out of your trip to uh, hang out with us. Where can people find you? Push whatever you want to push right here. Yeah, it was my pleasure, guys. You can find me on brettdavidstewart.com. I got a new album coming out here in about two and a half weeks. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Rivers Ruben. That is a stage name I do that music under. That is Rivers and then Ruben with an I, not me. Uh, and uh, connect with me there, and I'll connect back with you. I'm also doing the Jukebox podcast, as always. If you want to hear some great independent music or discussions, Matt was on the other month. Uh, check that out. We play a lot of music. We have a lot of discussions. Really cool stuff. And then finally, I am uh, one of the hosts of the Geek Cinema Society, which is a film related podcast that's going to be over on the Blazing Caribou Studios Network come uh, really about five days from now, if not less. So, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, Blazing Caribou's got a bunch of cool shit over there. I do rounds and breakdowns if you're into music and, well, exactly. metal, MMA. Um, yeah, I need some more stuff. Corey, how about you? Uh, you can find me. I do stuff related to comics at donutscomics.com. We have been releasing the classic comic Levi's World by Levi Krauss from the 90s, and we just started releasing our other comic Spells, uh, which was drawn and created by Levi and written by our friend Chrissy Ambar, who did Mr. Beat and works on Simpsons comics at Boingo. So we're hoping to add some more stuff on there soon, but you can go to donutscomics.com and click the different individual links for the different comics we've done. Awesome. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Matt the Lifeguard. That's going to do it for another episode of Podcast of Terror. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! No, it's... What is that exactly? You know, Superman is an extraterrestrial, so you may hear us talk about him on the Alien Invasion Podcast. Hey, it's Dave Nelson inviting you to join myself, Brad Ludwig, and Anessa Moyens for our weekly discussion about all things not of this earth, whether they be gray or green creatures from fiction, the latest stories from the world of science regarding the real possibility of life out there somewhere, or the claim from somebody saying they're already among us. We'll talk about it. You'll hear three stories from the week's news, a featured sighting, and our entertainment picks or warnings rated on a scale of one to five flying saucers, of course. All of it and more every week on the Alien Invasion Podcast, part of the Galactic Netcast Network of Shows. Find us at gncasts.com slash aliens or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Next week on the Podcast of Terror. Next week we're going to be talking about the foreign. I think it's foreign. I don't know. It's got subtitles. It told me subtitles. Whatever. Uh, it's a movie called A Girl Walks Alone home at night girl walks, girl walks home alone at night home alone at night what Corey if, said if that's your reading level now you're gonna have a lot of shit problems with this film <laughs> I, I didn't have the name in front of me and i was, I was like oh, it's not that hard well, fuck whatever this is my life uh we're gonna have our friend lucy parkinson from the uk on so we're gonna be recording at a silly time to accommodate her so that she doesn't have to get up in the middle of the night like we like to do to our old pal daryl uh, so thank you again for listening to another episode of the podcast here, and we will talk to you guys next week. Stay scary, everybody.
Thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast here. You can help Galactic Netcast pay for our web and audio hosting by supporting us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash galactic netcasts and pledge as little as dollars a month. You have been listening to a production of Galactic Netcasts. For more about this show and others, go to gncasts.com. That's g-n-c-a-s-t-s dot com.